Welcome to the Kupinger Code Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinbart. I'm an analyst and advisor at Kupinger Code Analysts here in Germany. My guest today is John Tolbert. He is a lead analyst for Kupinger Code and he works from Seattle. Hi, John. Hi, Matthias. Nice to join you again today. Great to have you. And we're talking today about an important topic, which is not that much technology oriented, although it might be also considered to be that as well. Uh, we want to talk about uh, the market of cybersecurity and we want to talk about vendor consolidation in that area. And the reason for that is that we and you are observing an ongoing consolidation in the cybersecurity business. What's going on there? What drives this consolidation? Well, you know, I think there are several reasons for uh, consolidation. You'll see oftentimes, you know, mid-sized or maybe even large security companies buy up some startups or, you know, smaller vendors that maybe, you know, late stage venture back companies. And they really do that to add features and functionality to their own uh, solution sets. You know, and I think that that gives them the feeling of being more complete, being able to offer their customers more functionality in a single product. And, you know, really it helps them in a, in that market segment. You know, let's say we're talking about something like uh, network security, you know, picking up different bits of network security functionality, putting it into the package makes it more attractive for prospective customers. Sometimes, you know, this can lead to what we might call functional overlaps. Let's say you're a business and you've already got a couple of different network security products. You may use, you know, specific functions from one vendor's product and may not be aware that another product that you already have licenses for offers similar functionality. You know, another reason why companies, bigger security companies do this is to pick up market share. Or even sometimes it can be something as simple as by the customers of a smaller vendor, you know, that exposes the big company to additional set of customers um, that they may have had their eye on for a while anyway. And then uh, similar to that, I think it's also possible that vendors uh, buy up uh, smaller companies just to kind of get a foothold in a new territory. For example, you could have a company that's based in the U.S. and they may want to get started in Europe. So they buy a European company that has uh, similar kinds of functionality or an APAC company. And that allows them to kind of get a, a toehold in, in a new market and market share in a way that may have been much more difficult for them to do just, uh, you know, growing organically. So there's lots of different reasons, I think, why larger vendors will buy up smaller vendors, particularly in cybersecurity. Okay. And if we look at this consolidation, you've mentioned that might also change the Uh, the feature set that an, an existing and already licensed product might have for a user. That is the reason why we always recommend to, to execute such a kind of portfolio analysis and such an assessment to make sure that you don't spend too much money um, when, when you look at your own cybersecurity or in general in, at your um, architecture. But when we look at this consolidation, what does that mean for the, for the end user? Does this consolidation 
always have a positive effect or are there also downsides? Yeah, you know, there's there can be both. I mean, there can be downsides to consolidation. Uh, sometimes, and we've seen this many, actually many times over the last 15 or 20 years, sometimes a competing product will uh, buy up, you know, small or special product. And then unfortunately, it kind of goes away. It just gets retired in place. And in a case like that, maybe maybe the smaller product was purchased just for the customers or just for the territory. And the, the bigger company never gets around to actually taking that code and integrating it with their mainline code. You know, I guess you could say in that case the motivation was to reduce competition, uh, pick the competitive products, customers, and uh, and move forward with that. Other times it can be just a case of you know it's can be difficult to integrate code from a formerly competitive company into the product line it can take a long time to get it right and and that can be difficult for customers of the the previously existing product if that code base is not continued and and features added to it to keep it current in the market that can be uh, definitely a disadvantage for the customers of a of a purchased product in those cases, you know. And, and what you wind up with there sometimes is stagnation of the feature set, and then even weak technical support for the purchased product. In an earlier episode, we talked about uh, upcoming new technologies which are really uh, just gaining traction and are gaining visibility, like the NDR um, episode that we did before. What are then other reasons for a vendor uh, consolidation? Is this also something that a larger, more established vendor wants to, to yeah, as you said, get more competence um, in these new, more modern feature sets and these more modern market segments as well? Yeah, you know, we've seen that a few times over the last decade or more too, where um, let's say not even a security specialist organization uh, but maybe maybe a large business application vendor wants to get into cybersecurity. So they'll buy a couple of different cybersecurity companies and then begin to try to integrate them. You know, that can be good, you know, for the business application because they're buying security. They can integrate it. They can add capabilities that they needed but they didn't have. And also, you know, this can have varying degrees of success. Uh, if, it, if security isn't their main push in life anyway, it can wind up taking a long time to get integrated. You know, that can be problematic for customers as well. Right. I've seen in the past that there were just issues in, in achieving this integration and to have this all play well together between the individual components of different origin. How does this, from your experience, work for the customer's of the purchased vendors in general, because that was just a, a one-off um, situation that I've seen. But so from, a, from an analyst point of view, how does that usually work out for the end user? Well, I think, you know, more often than not, it does work out. Like I said, it can sometimes take longer than any of us would like. And, and oftentimes even the purchasing vendor uh, runs into difficulties and, and sort of slow down the, the progress that they had anticipated maybe when the purchase was first announced. 
But, you know, over the long run, I think um, there are definitely advantages from a customer perspective. Think about think about maybe you're at a large enterprise. The advantages for you are you have fewer vendors to deal with and in many cases, greater functionality after the purchase as well. So, I mean, you've got, you know, let's say you're a CISO at a big company when a larger company or larger security vendor buys up a startup, the advantage is you've got fewer products that you have to manage. You know, many large companies have internal product managers for each product they've got. So fewer product managers, less labor. You can get more functionality in a single product suite that way. Uh, And if eventually, this one seems to be tricky. If the administrative consoles that the uh, admin users in your large organization use can be integrated, then you can kind of get closer to that single pane of glass that marketing people talk about, which, you know, is more than a marketing term. It's really uh, something that um, most CIOs or SOC managers strive for because the fewer tools, the fewer interfaces that employees have to deal with, uh, the more efficient they can be. And so this also leads to hopefully needing fewer uh, product specialists in security operations centers, SOCs. And then from a legal and accounting and procurement perspective, it's fewer contracts that you have to manage. So consolidation in cybersecurity can definitely be a good thing uh, for a variety of different reasons there. Uh, Once you get through some of the initial pain points uh, that sometimes companies experience as a result of that. So, but how do how do these acquisitions play out? How does that work? Well, I think the most common scenario is let's consider you know a large vendor that's already got an existing security product portfolio, and they're going to buy a new specialist product, something that's maybe you know adds new features, new functionality that they feel like it would take much longer to develop internally. You know, and we've seen this a lot in the last 10, 15 years, especially uh, in the area of endpoint security. You know, the use of machine learning detection models for both malware and, and malicious behavior. Think, you know, user behavioral analysis. Uh, ML is something that uh, offers, you know, some real benefits uh, when properly put into products. So some of the older uh, vendors looked at some of the startups and that came along and uh, said, you know, they've got good technology there. Let's let's buy it and integrate it into our own. Uh, and it would be faster than trying to develop that capability in-house. Uh, and then that results in them becoming more competitive, picking up new customers. You know, I think we're going to see this in the near future with network detection and response, like we were talking about last time, NDR products. I think many of them are specialist companies right now. Uh, They are adding capability that many private sector and public sector organizations find useful. And eventually, and probably not the distant future, these will be picked up by Uh, large security stack vendors or networking vendors, uh, likely. 
And, you know, there's another topic we haven't really gotten into yet about uh, deception, network deception tools or distributed deception platforms. These are another specialty area within security uh, that are sort of designed to lure in attackers uh, so that they can be uh, monitored and, and give you advance warning and uh, an attack is taking place uh, on your assets. These kinds of vendors are very, very innovative, and there's a good deal of uh, differences out there in the approaches that they take. And I think, you know, next two, three, maybe even five years, we're going to see uh, integration of uh, distributed deception platform kinds of technologies into the, the mainstream security suite applications as well. So these would be really perfect candidates for, for taking them over because they would really add specific functionality to a product suite, um, which has no overlaps, but and it's really a perfect match then there. We've seen that before in, in, in other larger mergers. So I think the one, one famous example is the Oracle Sun merger, where they ended up with lots of overlaps and lots of software providing the same functionality in various areas where they had to decide and to retire individual solutions, which of course also made many customers really, really unhappy there as well. Um, but but what happened to the traditional IPOs? Well, yeah, you know, that's, that's a good question too. I think they don't happen as often in the security world as they used to. It used to be, you know, every startup's dream to exit with an IPO. But, you know, I think it's... It's pretty expensive. There's a, a rigorous um, process that needs to be followed to be able to get to IPO. And now it's taking quite a long time. I mean, some of the companies that we know of that have done successful IPOs have been working on that literally for years. And along the way, they've had to take in pretty large rounds of investment to be able to maintain and grow to the point where an IPO actually makes sense in the market. You know, so getting close to the level of profitability needed and having that large dependable customer base uh, can be really difficult. That's why we see more and more startups angling for acquisition kind of out of the gate rather than IPO. Build a build something that the, the big vendors don't have and then get picked up, you know, five, six, seven years down the road. You know, we also see cases where Private equity firms are buying security and identity management companies. You know, I think it's kind of an interesting uh, route, but we also see where oftentimes that uh, brings major overhauls to management personnel, and sometimes that doesn't always work out well for customers. Right, and we've seen also various different aspects that we couldn't cover today in that episode. But but if smaller vendor is taken over, um, often the staff is moving away because they're reluctant to work for a larger company, and they prefer to be still in that more more agile, more modern way of working. And so the and they end up with buying a product and maybe a technology, but without the expertise around that. I think that's also a difficult aspect to think of. But as we're getting to the to the end of this this episode already, um, let's let's um, use your experience as an as an analyst on the one hand, but also being an advisor uh, for our customers. Let's 
consider ourselves being a customer uh, of a small security vendor that is actually a target of such an acquisition. What do I need to know? Is there something how I can prepare for that? What would be your recommendations here? Yeah, let's say you've heard on the news uh, and tech news that this is about to happen. I, I think it's important to not just wait and watch and see what happens. You really need to get some background on the acquiring company. You know, if it's if it's a large vendor, maybe you already have some sort of relationship with them. Maybe you're using them for, you know, business applications or network or 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 you know, another part of your security architecture portfolio. So if you are, then you know, get in touch with product and technical account management at both your current small vendor that you're using and the company where they're going. Find out. You know which which one who's going to be responsible for your account over the long haul, uh, and and start making sure that you could build that relationship if you don't already have it. If you don't uh, have anybody at that company, work closely with the uh, smaller vendor that you're currently uh, working with, and find out you know how is account management going to change over the coming months or years and you know they may not have all the answers at the beginning but i think it's important to begin having those dialogues and show the your vendor that you're interested in in things like what's their product roadmap going to be uh, where does it fit into their overall um, portfolio do they perceive this as maybe a key new technology that they want to focus on. If it is, then I think you're in luck because it will probably be, you know, receive a lot of effort. It will be more quickly integrated. Uh, it's really important to keep in contact and, and find out what the product roadmaps are going to be. But also I think you have to expect that outcomes may be difficult or different Uh, than than what is at least originally anticipated. I think many times vendors are quite optimistic about the timeline on which they may be able to integrate products. And then after they start looking at the code base, they figure out, mm, you know, this might be a little bit harder than we thought. Uh, so it might take a little bit more time. And really, As, as those of us who've been working in the security software field for a while know, it's, it's really difficult at times to achieve that seamless integration that uh, everyone um, says they're trying to achieve. But then, you know, I guess as let's say you are in the middle of an acquisition process and it's looking like it's taking a long time, Uh, you've found out what the roadmap plans are and they're really not materializing uh, the way that was promised or the way that you need them to be. Or maybe simply the new parent company isn't really executing well on that vision. It, it may be time to look for a replacement. So in that case, you know, keep in mind what your own business needs are, uh, meeting with your internal stakeholders, Uh, as a security uh, professional, security manager, and if if the current product set that you're using isn't meeting the needs and it doesn't look like it's going to, uh, you know, in a timely fashion, then it may be time to look for, you know, look at doing some sort of uh, RFP or tools choice to replace it. 
right? You've mentioned that RFP process. This is something where we accompany our customers in you know, on a regular basis. And I think it's an important aspect also here to look at a supply chain risk management approach. So to really understand, first of all, what is the risk if you choose a larger vendor, a smaller vendor, a new vendor, maybe a startup vendor, and to deal with that. And if there is a risk or you consider that to be a risk that there might be a takeover in the long run, that you really have an exit strategy in place, or at least have already made the right first steps towards an exit strategy, so not to get to a vendor lock-in here. I think there's lots of uh, material around at coppingercoal.com when it comes to cyber supply chain risk management approaches, and this is really a, a new aspect to integrate into the way to do cybersecurity and to do digitalization in general. But I think it's very important in such changing market segments and such innovative market segments to deal with that adequately. Yeah, definitely. You know, that maybe that's a subject for a whole another podcast, uh, but the cyber supply chain risk, that's, that's excellent. When you think about the way enterprises vet potential vendors, you know, there are times when it's it's completely appropriate to let's say accept a little risk and work with a smaller vendor if you've got a really pressing need and you know vendor x has something that you can't get elsewhere then yeah i think you should do that uh, but like you said you know you should be also ready to have an exit strategy and you know there are things around that you know we can help with in talking about uh, using standards and avoiding vendor lock-in. So yeah, that's that's very pertinent to the conversation, I believe. Okay, great. So for this episode, thank you very much, John, for for giving us insight into this yeah this this complex topic and that interesting topic when we are talking about um, increasingly innovative markets. Uh, I think we should continue the discussion around cyber supply chain risk management as well. But for the time being, thank you very much, John, for being my guest today. Thanks, Matthias. And bye-bye.